Matthew 14, I'm going to go mostly through this passage and, and touch on two stories. And uh, I, I started off preaching this message from another perspective. I, I preached this same exact passage back in 2012. And uh, I, I preached uh, on the perspective of um, getting out of the boat and having faith in God. And, and uh, going through the, the play, I've been through the, the last two months, I've been preaching on following Christ and just getting the idea of what we're going to see on the stage and living it uh, Monday through Sunday as we, we come in the church and, and we live out the gospel, not just repeat it from the stage. And in this passage in Matthew 14, verse 16, but Jesus said unto them, they need not depart, give them to eat. This is the passage of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And they said, and we have not here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them hither. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them and he break them. That was Jesus. And he gave the loaves to his disciples, the servants. And the disciples to the multitudes. You guys see what is happening right here is you've got Jesus having the faith, and they didn't have the faith. You want us to go into the city and get bread? No, 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 let me use this and I'll multiply it. But all the faith was on Jesus. In the middle is the disciples. The disciples take what Jesus did, and they go out and they give it to the crowd of those that were to be ministered unto. But between those two, you have the disciples that are doing this. And the disciples did the work, and they, they, they were following in the commands that Jesus gave them. They were being good church people. They were being good followers of Jesus Christ. Notice what happens next, verse 22. And straightway, verse 22 goes into a different story. Jesus constrained his disciples, his disciples to get into a ship. So now he takes these servants. says, guys, here, come over here. Now notice Jesus is doing all of this. Jesus is not getting in the boat, but he's asking them to get in the boat, and he's sending the boat out, all orchestrated by Jesus, the guys that are closest to him, the followers, the Sunday school teachers, the deacons, the, the, the choir members, the, the ushers. That's those people that do the work. These guys just finished feeding 5,000 plus women and children, all these people. These are the guys... That their duty or their job is to bring the blind to Jesus. They would go into a city and they would find the sick. And, and just like we do in our plays. Like, come here Jesus, here's a man that says. And, and they go up there and lead them there. And they're collecting the fragments. And they're doing the work. And they're going around the baskets. They're doing everything that Jesus tells them to do. They were the ones that would control the crowds. They would even go out and preach. Jesus commanded them to go out and teach and preach. There was different guys that were in charge of feeding the disciples. And different guys were in charge of the money of it. They were the servants. They were always busy doing the work of Jesus. These guys are you. Vessels being used to accomplish the Lord's work. But watch what happens. Verse 22 again. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side. Well, he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and the evening was come, and he was there alone. The, the, the word constrained means that he kind of insisted, he pushed them. It wasn't just a, hey, Jesus, we're going to do this, and Jesus let them. It was Jesus' idea. He knew where he was sending them and what was going to happen. Verse 23, 
Well, verse 24. But when the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. I stopped and noticed the timeline of this. And, and there's a couple of things that mention about Jesus in the evening. And when the evening had come, he sent them away and put them into the ship. And then you also see that Jesus went walking to them in the midst of the storm in the third hour. Now, I'm, I'm pulling principles out of this because I know you guys know the story. You guys have probably heard Jesus walking on the water, Peter getting out, sinking all that since the time you were children. I'm not, I, I want to get the, the meat of this and the principles that are being taught around this. They were out there in the storm for hours. Hours. And I, I'd never noticed that before. And I thought, what in the world? I'm not sure exactly how many hours, but I know it was for a length of time that was there. And whether you want to believe it or not, even though they were followers of Jesus, they were at some point in time getting discouraged and thinking they were going to die. Losing faith. Verse 25 in the fourth watch, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now let me tell you guys, this is a whole lot different than the story we just read minutes ago. The feeding of the 5,000 was on a mountaintop. This is cool, this is exciting. We were part of a great work. We were part of seeing God do some great and awesome things, and God's provision was there, and all these things was going on. It was pretty cool what God was doing. Let me tell you guys something. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm talking to my church family, and I am, and I, I love you guys, and I'm just going to shoot you straight. The gospel and the truth of God's word is a whole lot easier to tell than it is to live. It's a whole lot easier to preach. Go to a hospital. Walk in there. Their loved one is laying there. And you put your arm around him and say, you know what? God is good. And God is faithful. You know, I believe that God will heal this person. I believe God's there. Honey, you ready to go? All right, baby. It's good to say, you know, and we, we do that. And a lot of things, we, we run into somebody at church. And you walk up to him and says, man, we're, we're broken. I don't know what we're going to do. God will provide. I know it's Christmas. And, and, and God's good. God is faithful. You know, that's, we, we have all this religious jargon that we throw out all the time. Now, not that we don't believe that whole lot easier to say than it is to live it the disciples are going around at that feeding of the five thousand man god's good god provides god's always there jesus did this yeah yeah he's great look what jesus did oh we even got fragments left over look and they're gathering all this up now it's just the 12 in a boat about to die and not one time did they sit there and cry out oh jesus come help us they got in the flesh there's no spiritual anything going on. And I started, and this is the, the points that I want to bring out. You don't judge these guys. I'm simply saying, as ministers and servants, we can get so used to saying these things that we never make it personal. What Jesus did, I think this whole thing was he, he, he stopped and he, as he's watching these guys and he's saying, I wonder if they believe that. As they're going around ministering and collecting the bread and passing out the bread and bragging on Jesus and lifting up their hands. And maybe Jesus did that and they were like, they were the ones like, hey, yeah, look at that. Uh-huh. You know, they, they were like the, the little pep rally team. Here's the lessons that they learned. We'll, we'll go through this and then we'll, we'll go home and we'll rest. And then we're going to come back together tonight and do our job. 
This is what they learn. Number one, they learn to personally trust Christ. Imagine being in the boat. What would you be thinking? Seriously, what, what would you be thinking? Uh, and you're sitting there saying, all right, hey, guys, maybe Jesus will come in, in the first hour, second hour, third hour, fourth hour. And, and somebody said even the way that it was, they were probably so off course and the way that the sea was and where they went out, where they were going, all this. And here they are in need, and then they're scared, and not once do we read in this passage do we hear them crying out to Jesus. Why? Did they not fully understand that God could hear them where they were at? Were they not applying what they've learned and even what they've preached to so many people? It's, why, why do we tell people all the time what God can do, but when we get into situations, we are fearful and we're falling apart? It, it is much easier to preach the things that we know about God than it is to live the things that we know about God. But I'm here to tell you that sometimes God will push you into a storm. God will jerk away all of the things that you're leaning on and all the support that you have in your life to where you learn the lessons. And this storm was not a bad thing. Remember, God sent them into the storm, but it was for lessons for them to see and experience Jesus for themselves, not just standing on a stage and proclaiming it the way they were good at. Lord, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Two weeks ago, I preached that. Lord, just speak the word and my servant will be here. This turn to the disciples. I've not seen such great faith. No, not in all of Israel. Just speak the words. Why weren't they in that situation? Lord, just, Lord, if you will, I know that you're the son of God. But they never said that. Lord, before you said peace be still and the peace was still on the sea. And just a few chapters before that, but they never said that. All they were was fearful. Even to the point where Jesus showed up, they weren't even expecting Jesus to show up. They said, look, there's a spirit. Nowhere in that did they make it about God whatsoever. You know, one thing that is hard for me as a pastor is, is to preach and to go home and then to get upset. And all of a sudden, my kids listen to everything that I preached in the past. I was like, Dad, didn't you just preach the other day? I'm like, what are you doing listening in church? <laughs> you know, I was like, shouldn't you be sleeping or playing or something? They're just like, they're, they're quick to call me out. And I mean, and it's, it's good to keep in check. And once in a while, Jen will just quote something that I said. I'm like, where did you hear that? She said, oh, it was one of your points. And your own's like, oh, man, it's just. And here are these guys who who worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'll show you in a minute why I believe that they did not call on the name of Jesus like they should have. Why does it take a storm in our life for God to teach us lessons that we can trust him ourselves, not just tell other people to trust him? Verse 27, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto the uh, unto thee on the water and he said come and when Peter was come down out of the ship he walked on the water to go to Jesus now I think this is where it comes into where they're starting to get it I mean at least Peter got it I know this guy is all over the place he's up and down and and, and you know he was he was one day praising one day denying him and I know I know that's a story of what we get from him but either way you look at it 
Jesus wanted them to trust him for everything that he said. And I, and I realize that sometimes God pushes us into a place where we don't know what to do. And I tell you, none of this makes sense. You need to know as a church that the ways of God will not always make sense to you. Coming in the third or, or the fourth watch of the night and the storm coming up and Jesus not being there, knowing Jesus put them into the boat and the storm being contrary and they're about to die. None of that made sense. And sometimes you guys, all of us are waiting for the situation to make sense. Why would God make me sick like this? Why would he take away my job now? Why, why, why? Rather than just saying, hey, listen, God is faithful always. I can trust him always. It it doesn't matter if the storm comes. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. Life will be crazy and life will come at you in crazy ways. But that doesn't mean that God has lost what he's doing in our lives. And I'm not going to go into it. Peter sinks and God saves him and he takes his eyes off the Lord and all that part. But that's not the point. The point is, the life gets crazy. And sometimes I think God pushes us the crazy situation for maybe him just to sit there and look at us and say, do you personally believe that you can trust in me? Faith is believing that God can do things with you that are beyond what you can do. I'll be honest, I got that way with this an entire play thing. It's just, we, we were all wondering, do we have enough seats? Can we see people? Is this going to happen? Wednesday night with the issues that we had over and over and over and over again and all these different things that happened. And Friday, I got under deep conviction. That's when I sent out that bulk message uh, on Facebook to everybody that would read it and just say, listen, we've got to trust our God. Wherever you're at in your life, don't just tell your kids to trust God and don't just tell your neighbors to trust God. What are you facing right now? And the question is that Jesus would say, you're in a storm, but are you going to trust me in the storm? Not you, not you just telling everybody, but you personally, do you trust in me? Do you believe that I can and that I will? Second lesson that comes. Not only did they learn to trust in him personally, but they personally learned to worship him. I've never noticed this in this passage, and I have preached this and taught this before. Verse 32, and when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him. You say, why is that a big deal? It's the first time ever that the disciples are recorded worshipping Jesus. Stop and think about that for a minute. Out of everything that Jesus ever did, nowhere in Scripture are the ones that knew his power the most, knew his teachings the most, experienced his presence the most. Those guys are never recorded worshiping Jesus. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. How often... Are we the ones running to do the work of God and yet we're not the ones worshiping Him as being God? So, the lesson for all of us, because we can be servants to the point where we're not worshipers, we are simply just workers. See, the thing is we can work on the buses and we can bring people in and we can run here and there and run through the halls and never stop once on Sunday to praise God. You think about it. We can, we can run through here and make everything happen from here to there. We can be in the choir, be on a worship team, come out here and sing in a group or sing in a special, 
sing over there and play the instruments and do all that, sing the words, hit the notes, make some noise, and never worship God. Never personally worship God. We can get in our serving modes. We have our places to be. We have to remember the words to say. We get out there to look nice and look nice in the way that we present ourselves when we walk in and walk out, which is all good, and we should do those things. But have we gotten so much in the church mode that it's just about doing routines? These guys at this point, through all of this, they, they, they step down, and for the first time, they bow down before God in that word worship. That's what that word worship means, to prostrate prostrate oneself to reverence or adore or to worship. And I'd imagine, I don't know what form there is, and don't judge other people for how they worship. Because everybody, there, there are those that will just sit there and cry, and some that will stand and raise their hand. And so, so everybody's different. God made everybody different. Amen. And who are you to judge that person over there for how they worship? I've got Darnell over here and Jenny over here. I promise you, they don't worship the same. But God loves Darnell just as much as he loves Jenny. Now, I love Jenny more than I love... No, I'm just... <laughs> and and I, I, I read in this, and, and I don't know what they did, but somewhere along here, these guys bowed down, and for the first time, it's not about feeding the 5,000. It wasn't about where they were going or what they were doing or collecting the fragments or bringing sick to Jesus. They were just on their knees saying, you are God. You are God. And I don't know what was going on in that boat, but I know they had a little worship service going on. And it was what God wanted. God is pleased with your service. But if you leave worship out of your service, you've left out the purpose. We can be busy and well-doing, and I'm telling we're all guilty of this. One of the things that lays heavy on my heart, and I'm going to just tell you, I'm making, I'm making a, a training announcement right now to, to you guys that are ushers. We have the inter- invitation at the end. And you guys' job is to go to the back and you have to grab the offering and and get all this in place. Let me tell you this. If God's working on your heart, forget the offering, come to the altar. Somebody else will take up the offering in your place. And I'm not saying that like you guys are doing something wrong. Don't let the jobs that we come to do get in the way of what God's doing in your life. If we get so busy and caught up in our worship teams that we're sitting in the back room or off to the side of the musicians, you're sitting there going through your notes, and I know we all have jobs to do, and I'm going through the schedule, but if we don't come to worship Him, then why did we come? Amen. And you're on this stage, and we're, we're sitting there raising up Jesus, and we're putting Him here, and hey, you know what, I found myself getting caught up in some of the things that we have to do, and, and in the, the, the last night, I'm sitting there, I'm so captivated, it, it's just Brent Matheny acting it out, but I'll tell you, I had tears going down my face because I was in a worship mode of saying, that's what God did for me. Right. Don't leave worship out. So I'm not into all that a bunch of emotionalism. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> if you feel that way, you have not read your Bible. Amen. You've skipped the book of Psalms. Amen. That woman that went before Jesus, she washed his feet with her tears would you be that one standing out emotionalism well jesus didn't feel that way he was honored by it 
And the thing is, God's made us different. We worship, but the thing is, when it comes from our heart, it's not a performance. You get to the point where you're drawing all the attention on you and you're just doing it out of vain motives, and that is a problem. But God, in that situation right there, when they got back in that boat and the wind ceased, all those guys fell to their knees and began to worship God. God taught them personally to trust in Him. God taught them personally to worship Him. But let me show you one more thing that never is said or mentioned in Scripture that happened in this passage. They personally acknowledged Him as God. And you're saying, what? Let me show you. Verse 33. And when they were in the ship came and worshipped Him, saying, of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. Say, well, of course they said that. No, let me tell you, it's the first time mentioned in Scripture up to this point that the disciples acknowledged him as the Son of God. You say, I I don't understand. Have you ever been so much in the Christian, religious, go to church, everything, that one day something just clicks or hits you? And, And one of those moments for me was two weeks ago, in the, and, and I already shared this once when I, I did Brent's part and they nailed me to the cross and when they laid me down and they're hitting those spikes and, and I, was, I, I, got caught, I, I got overtaken by and I, I, they lifted me up and when I was up and the actors start mocking and laughing at Jesus and all these things, I, I'm like, oh my goodness, it just, it just clicked with me. Wow, what did God do? And I think we can be around it so much, but we don't acknowledge that the Son of God came and died for our sins. And the Spirit of God, which is just equal with God the Father and God the Son, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He is here with us, but do we act like He's here with us? He will come and save and he will come and change and he raised the dead and he did all those things. That same God is in you. Do you live and act like it? And if you can walk around and curse and cuss and drink and do whatever you want and you have no conscience of God, I wonder if God is in you. And if he is in you, there will be conviction and you will not just sit there and do it flippantly like it is nothing. God will tug on your heart. God will change you because he is God and he is just. He will not mess around. We just live like God's not real. Those disciples were around it, around it, around it, around it. And they turned around and said, surely thou art the son of God. to, To make my point flip back to Matthew 8 27 you say this all sounds familiar this all sounds familiar you're right it is sounds very familiar because there was another time that they were crossing and Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat and they woke up Jesus and said don't you care that we die did they truly acknowledge him as being the son of God or were they just really familiar with being around him you say well I believe they acknowledge him as the son of God Matthew 8 27 in that passage but the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this that even the seas, winds and sea obey him? Not once in all the passages did they acknowledge and said, Surely thou art the Son of God. Surely thou art the Son of God. Christians, servants, 
that I love and I work and I travel and I do all the things and it's so much fun being part of a church family. May we not get so caught up with being around it so much and serving so much that we don't live it and we don't worship and we don't acknowledge him for who he is. And I don't want it to where God has to push me and say, all right, dude, and push me out into the sea to say, let's have a storm and I'm going to let it get really bad. Third hour, fourth watch for Jesus to show up and say, oh, who is that? We're falling apart. Oh, it must be a spirit and say, you didn't even recognize me as being God. I love what we do. But wait, we, wait, we never get to the point where it doesn't become personal. And if it does, I tell you, we'll be just a bunch of spiritual robots. A bunch of religious Pharisees. A bunch of people that repeat words and go through the motions and stand in the choir, or stand on the stage, or stand in the back, and we just say the words but don't live it ourselves.